Welcome to the Future of Women at Work podcast. I'm Kristen Ravel. And I'm Rachel DeWiggins-Beeler. And on with the show. Well, Lizen, uh, thank you so much for joining. I just hit record, so it's sort of halfway, but we'll, I'll figure it out and figure the end out and everything. But um, I, so uh, Rachel, um, and I know, you, you know, she's my, my co-host, my wonderful, uh, she compliments me quite a bit, um, as you can already tell with her golden hills behind her. And... <laughs> Her story of moving and uh, being a mom of three kids. Uh, and Lisa and I met on our Cuba trip. Um, and uh, you know, it's so funny. I've done a little bit more homework on your background and, you know, all your YouTube videos and things. And it reminded me of when we were sitting on the bus one time and we started connecting the dots. I mean, immediately I just was drawn to you and, and just adored Aww. you. But then we started talking and we we're like, well, we have a lot in common. We need to... <laughs> partner a little bit more because of the just uh you know jobs and placements and women and um even your three percent movement and increasing um you know that executive leadership and the creative advertising and marketing space and um your conferences your book um and then i happen to come across another really cool podcast that's um women family entrepreneurship or something like that that was um pretty neat as well so um but i know what we had talked about for this was creating your own lane which i know you and i were kind of brainstorming like what do i want to talk and it was just like that that's what i want (laughs) that's the best of um you know what where we're at And, and also while I was looking at all these YouTube videos that anyone can see, um, just the relevance of what we're going through now is uh, beyond um, right. and uh, and your story. So I will stop and let you <laughs> talk a little bit too about about your your background um, and uh, you know I like this sort of free form conversation and seeing where it goes and. I know there's going to be a lot of questions, and once Rachel hears what <laughs> it's going to come out of Lisa's, Lisa's going to share, you will have a lot of questions, and I'm sure conversations afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and definitely. well, I'm I'm so honored to be here, and you know, as Kristen you said, we just you know bonded immediately, and and you know the sister the sisterhood expands itself. So I'm just thrilled to, and so great to meet you, Rachel. Um, I, I like to say that. Uh, we're so immersed right now in all the negative things that's happening around COVID. And there is so much pain and suffering. And please, I, I'm, not, I'm not at all trying to dismiss that. It's just heartbreaking. But I also, with a, I'm a you know, glass half gal, glass half full gal. Rachel and, and I, I, like, yeah. <laughs> I like to think about what are some of the silver linings that will happen. And I, there's no question in my mind that the, a potential and a, and a huge opportunity for silver lining was something that actually drove and was one of the key takeaways from all the research I did for my book, Work, Pause, Thrive. What we, I interviewed 186 women, surveyed 1,500 more, and the definition, the requirement was they had to have gone to college and they had to have, um, um, or, you know, had prof- actually had a professional de- career was really didn't actually a couple of them didn't go to college so let me be clear but they had to be mothers and they had to have a professional career and um the the reason for that is i was really trying to ask myself why didn't we have more women in leadership like what were the problems with that and and you know cheryl sandberg had come out with lean in and i thought well gosh i leaned in and fell on my face and and you know was i alone or was there 
was I not? And, you know, I thought I'd interview, you know, maybe 50 women and just the stories were pouring in 186 women later. And I finally, my editor said, we've got to stop getting stories. You know, every one of them was a woman who created her own narrative, her own path, her own kind of nonlinear career so that she could integrate work and family. Right. Well, so many exciting things happened, including understanding that those women who had companies or workplaces that allowed them to have what I call time mastery, which is the ability to work where they want, when they want, and be highly productive, lead teams, drive global you know, things, but to have the, the, the power to say, I'm going to be working from home today because of, for whatever reason, or I'm going to be leaving early for whatever reason, but you can be assured that I will come back on and get my work done and be a high performer, but it's going to be the way I do it. We're seeing that happen right now because we've been forced as leaders, as, as, as you know, senior, senior leaders, as managers to remove that layer of expectation around FaceTime, assuming that just because Lisa is sitting next to me in her desk, she's being productive. And if she's not right next to me, she's not productive. Well, if you can rip away that band-aid, if you can rip away that false belief and actually think, Lisa's highly competent, I believe in her, she's gonna deliver the goods, she's gonna communicate with me, and we have, by the way, the technological tools to make that all happen, boom, suddenly our teams have time mastery. Now, it also brings in the challenge of how do you manage remote teams, et cetera, and how do you navigate all these things? But once you get away from that fundamental disbelief, that fundamental myth that the only way to be productive is to be right next to each other all of the time, once you break that open, so much freedom then is created for, for mothers, frankly, who have the caregiving responsibilities, but not just mothers, fathers, people who want to volunteer, you know, or, or run marathons. I mean, I interviewed people who, you know, had these nonlinear careers because they ran marathons, right? Or people who didn't have children, but had parents they were caring for. The point being, th this could be a huge opportunity for us. And, I, and, and if we do it right, and, I, and I'm starting to see it doing it right is going to start happening. Wow, this, this could mean a true breakthrough. Um, mm -hmm. So I have hope. For, I have hope. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting because I think of, you know, the, the, there's the executive and leadership and, and maybe they have oh, maybe more cushion or something versus the, you know, the others that are struggling. And, um, you know, and, and then the hope also is that those that get that get in those leadership roles will help those that maybe are a little lower level to um, make that more of the norm, you know, and I, I don't know if, if there's been any uh, follow-up or research or anything that you've seen because, uh, you know, just with, or, or if you heard anything during COVID that's come up at all. I know everything's so new still. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, no, we're doing that research right now. So it's yeah. so funny. After this call, I'm going to be meeting hey. with team members who just did a very light survey um, asking how, what's working remote and what's not working remote. And yeah. What's not working for people are two key things. One is if you have children and you don't have either childcare or they're not in school, that's a major burden. I mean, this assumes people aren't sick, so let's start there. Yes. <laughs> but right, so you can, it's hard to be productive if you've got the burden of a family without the support network to support care that, for that family, right? Mm -hmm. Now we always had that, we mothers and fathers always had that burden, but it was hidden. 
Mm -hmm. can't hide it anymore. And so what do we do, right? So let's fantasize a year from now, we've found the perfect vaccine and our children are able to go back to school, daycare centers are back in, uh, you know, summer programs are all in. Take that burden of extra responsibility away and all of a sudden we have people who can be highly productive and um, if we can get rid of that, that, that myth of FaceTime productivity. So that's, that's happening. The other thing that I'm hearing is um, this beautiful realization that we used to fantasize that we always wanted to work remotely, right? There was a lot of this mythology. And a lot of us are realizing we like going to the office. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the answer. And in fact, I read a piece of research um, recently that said that they had done studies about what makes people happiest. Mm -hmm. And people are happiest when they're working inside the office three days a week. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which isn't saying they're not working. Sense. They're not mm -hmm. working. They're working all the other days of the week. In fact, oftentimes they're working more on Saturdays and Sundays. Like I'm sure you guys probably experienced this. I don't have a five day work week. I have a seven day work week. Yeah. <laughs> I just have moments in those days where I'm not, you know, working. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Right. Yeah. So um, they found that the highest employee and life satisfaction were people who worked in the office three days a week and had then had time mastery those other days outside. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to head to that model. Yeah. You know, we're going to see that being the normative, um, not fully remote. Again, yeah. that's where we're healthy and safe, yes. um, but also not fully back in. So it's interesting you say that. For, so with, with um, me starting, you know, this, what I'm doing, the staffing yeah. firm at home, um, you know, the last 24 years, always asking about someone's ideal. And I kind of am very specific about exactly like my cookie cutter. Of, I want to know exactly what is your dream job and going through that. And now with COVID asking them um, their ideal schedule. So I've asked everyone exactly, you know, what would be your ideal? Is it if you had all jobs the same, salaries the same, everything's the same, teams, everything, personalities. If you could work from home, if you could work full time in the office, if you could be part time, half and half. I would say all every single person's been half and half. Um, now, men and women, people with children, people without children. Um, I yeah, most of them have families, and right? Because they're probably more senior. Yeah, you're dealing with more senior. Exactly. Yeah, okay. most of them have, and they're all ranged aged. You know, uh, mostly you know, uh, uh, seven year old twins. I know someone has, um, and there's a lot more like, okay, you take the kids out of the. <laughs> for a couple hours and let me just have some quietness and then another friend who said um and i think it was the night rachel actually just came here and it was margarita remember it was friday it was margarita so she's she's like the kids are in the house it's margarita or pina colada day i'm having one and so we had one as well <laughs> i love it right and so it's just i i see most half and half that they're um yeah, and, and I'm trying to think of, you know, what's interesting is I think there are a few that do not have uh, kids, kids are grown up. Um, they do want, they tend to be more, they want to go into the office. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll also see at the C-level, the high-level CEOs, CFOs, um, <clears throat> that they want their staff, because I'm also asking, what do you feel in terms of your staff and what you're seeing, what you want? Um, they want them in the office. Right, because um, they're still, they haven't quite evolved into what we know is going to be the norm. When we look at 21st century cultures and 21st century leadership, yep. the norm will be this way, but they're not there yet because they, yeah. their yeah. careers came up from, from being, you know, FaceTime. 
Why yeah. did he use his FaceTime? Yeah, I think that's it. The same thing. Oh, sorry. One one big thing I thought was interesting is I asked them, there was a couple in particular, um, and they're pretty high up there. I asked them, you know, because there's some, there's a lot of movement up at that sea level space that I'm, I mean, a lot of movement and hearing different uh, um, opportunities. And then they want to be and kept in mind for opportunities. So um, it's interesting because when I ask them about their team, you know, they, they want them. But when I ask them about what they'd like, it's a flex. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Isn't that right? That's a real yeah. problem if they can't break out of their own mindset, right? Yeah, and I think it's just me. new. Yeah, you know, but I think that's that's really the change that I was thinking of when we were talking about this is there's a sense of when you're at sea level that you are in and out of the office as a natural. That's part of business, right? Mm -hmm. When you are working in an office, you see sea level moving in and out. They must be going to meetings. They're going to meeting lunches. They're going to meeting dinners like it is a part of what they do Mm -hmm. and does not see them for one day. We most folks never think they're not actually working. Mm-hmm. They're just at more meetings, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious how much of the mindset is really changing or how much of it are we really accepting because we know that's the way we do things at the sea level because the real impact is going to be how does that trickle down? That's what we'll know. Have they taken those blinders off or not, right? And that's why I was kind of curious with your research is do you see that being communicated and starting to get that cultural shift where people are going, no, 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 not just for me. Like I need, I need those other layers to be able to have the flexibility that I have or to, or are we really accepting what has always been acceptable? It's a really great question. And I would say um, I'm seeing uh, two, two patterns happen for, for uh, a lot of our work is in tech and advertising, but my company prism work does culture innovation work. We do brand 360 alignments and um, a lot of, a lot of leadership training for um, uh, companies that are in advertising and tech kind of more younger uh, leaders, frankly, it does seem to be somewhat generational, not exclusively, but I do see the younger leaders. It's a no brainer to them. Everyone's going to be flexible. It's not even a question. Um, but I do see there is a does seem to be a generational shift where if you if you were if you came of age and you're in there in your mid early fifties and older, there seems to be a belief that yes I've earned it I've earned the right to go in and out but I'm not sure everyone else has earned that right I did it that way um, why should anyone else do it differently but but the truth of the matter is. If those leaders don't shift, if those leaders don't recognize that the 21st century culture, that the new world of work is so different and that for them to attract and retain the best talent, they're going to have to shift their mindset. Um, you know, I think that the proof will be in the business outcomes and we're going to start mm-hmm. seeing that happen. And I, I can't wait to see the link to business outcomes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, three years from now, four years from now, what does this mean? What does it look like? Um, now, there, I, I do worry, and I think a real issue is going to be the uh, divide between the uh, warehouse worker versus the professional. We've always had that issue. So now, is it just going to become more intense, and how is that going to play itself out? And this is where I think really being thoughtful about our HR programs, policies, and practices, and what does that look like, and how can we ensure that... Um, everyone has access at least to, you know, the right healthcare, the right parental leave, you know, making sure that's universal. You know, when, mm-hmm. when Hilton 
I think it was two or three years ago, Hilton expanded their parental leave program to all of their employees, their maids, you know, their senior marketing executives or everybody. That's a huge sea change in the way that they're treating their employees. Other countries actually mandate it from a governmental standpoint. We don't have that. We should. We don't. We're one of only two countries in the U.S. that don't have universal paid leave, mm-hmm. uh, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, um, but companies are now stepping up to fill the void. And, and to me, if we can make that universal across all the employee levels, that will at least be a step in the right direction. It's interesting. I was on a call, or I, yeah, I was listening to a call yesterday, I believe, yesterday or the day before, um, and uh, they had a lot of large employees, employers. Actually, Walmart was one of them, and I, I'm curious about Walmart. I haven't looked into it, and I'm not sure, but it sounded like they treated everyone from the very bottom up with the same mm-hmm. benefits. And uh, they were talking to Workday, Salesforce, um, Walmart, and I think one or two other really large employers um, about a lot of, you know, DNI and right. how they're treating everyone and just during COVID what they're doing. And it seemed like they were really embracing a lot of what we're talking about as well, which which was good to hear. I know Walmart spoke up. I, I mean, conscious capitalism, right? When, when the, the, in, in June 2019, so well before COVID, yeah. right? The business roundtable came out and said the role of a corporation has changed. Mm-hmm. It's no longer exclusively about driving profits. Mm-hmm. It's now about how do we affect all stakeholders? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? And what's our responsibility there? That could be, stakeholder could be climate, the stakeholder could be a community, the stakeholder could be your internal employees, mm-hmm. or it could be your, 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 your shareholders. Mm-hmm. When you shift that mindset and realize that your responsibility is far greater, that when you look at your brand, if you will, it can't just be great marketing externally, but it has to be internal as well, that changes everything. Um, so, yeah. Nope. We're in a really exciting time. Yeah. So no, I, think that's, I think that's the interesting part too, is how we're going to start to measure it, which I feel like we're getting at that part in our conversation is like, what do we deem those measurable pieces, right? Do we just deem profits only? Or do we start to look at internal satisfaction, which leads to higher productivity, which then right trickles down to that bigger idea of profit? Because of course we have to be profitable to stay in business. But mm-hmm. um, what is, I'm wondering where companies are going to start positioning themselves to create the dialogue to understand those various measures, right? Which would then feed those, say, for example, HR documents that create consistency across the board. So it's so that's literally the work that we're doing right now. We're mm-hmm. actually we have a, an assessment model that we call our brand 360, where we take companies through their internal and external kind of um, uh, kind of where are their stakeholders, where are they impacting stakeholders and what does it look like? And we measure them and say, okay, we know that best in class is this and where do you stand relative to this? And what does that mean for you? And where can you evolve? I mean, look, what happened? Um, Carta just was, they they just have a woman who's announced a lawsuit. Carta, who's supposed to be all about gender equity, right? They're they're giving, running conferences and doing all this, right? And then it turns out that no, they're not paying their senior women the same, right? So come on, really? Do you guys remember the, um, uh, what's it called? The Fearless Girl campaign that came out a few years ago. Uh-huh. It was done. Remember the cute little girl stand, statue in front of the bowl? Got tons of awards. The campaign was done by an advertising agency called McCann. You know, I mean, absolute kudos to that. State Street was the company they did that for. 
wonderful until you find out that State Street was in the midst of all of these pay equity lawsuits. They had no women in senior <laughs> leadership. They had no women on their board. It's like, you've got to be joking. You cannot do this anymore. And the consequences are lawsuits at the board level to, if you've got, you know, if you've got, you're going to have lawsuits, you have employees leaving, the, the disruption to business is huge. So we're, to your question, what are the measures that we can track, not just in terms of profitability, but employee satisfaction, employee engagement, mm -hmm. you know, all of these other measures that are going to allow us to really see, does this, is this company doing what the business roundtable says companies should do, which is be a benefit to all stakeholders, mm -hmm. right? No, absolutely. Well, and the bottom line is just what the, you know, um, I know you and I have been uh, involved in like how women lead and, um, you know, uh, like 20% of board, right? 20, it's 20, 20 at 2020. And it was hit in 2019. For California, um, I think. I don't know if that was national. I, think that was I didn't think, yeah, I wasn't sure yeah. either. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's why I kind of paused. For it's, not, yeah, it's not, it's not but, national. No. Yeah. But just the fact of, um, you know, the, the provenness of having women on board, provenness also about, I feel like working smarter and having autonomy and being in control of your day and your, you know, what you need to do and being able to balance. I think that the balance piece is the really big thing because, you know, we, we look at, I, I was a latchkey kid. My, my mom was a single mom and my dad had remarried and I was on my own. And and uh, that's not like how it is today. With, I mean, it is, there's that that happens, but now with both parents working and, um, you know, there's, there's so much that, you know, there's so much on our plates uh, along with the activities and all the other stuff that, um, you know, having, having elect, I mean, having our computers and our phones, you know, we work at night, we work on weekends, we make it, we get caught up on what we need. But I, a couple things that stood out, um, you said something in an, a podcast about um, uh, Japan having a 40 hour mandated week for everyone, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting. I was curious about, about that. And my second question, what I've also noticed in talking with a lot of folks is um, they can't separate. So they're, they're working too much and I was talking to an old, you know, an old boss of mine and, and he was like, I, I just have to go and golf. I have to make it happen because he sees I, I make it happen. I just, you know, it's like I, I do my personal thing first because I'm so driven professionally that I know I'll get that done. <laughs> so I sort of swap it backwards. But I was curious about Japan and just what you're seeing as well on that front. Working so boy, you're, you're feeding right into to me what was really shocking when I was doing the research for the book. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I was asking myself and that kind of some data that rocked my, my mind, we hear about 70% or more of women with children under the age of 18 work are in the workforce, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of the, we hear 60 to 70, sorry, 70 to 75%. Yeah. When you actually deconstruct it, it's actually only 49% are working full-time. Mm -hmm. The rest of them work part-time because they can't mm -hmm. do full-time because to your point, the workplace doesn't support caregiving and there's just how do you, or maybe they're single parents or whatever it is. So this mythology of, oh, every mother's a working mother. Well, maybe, but they're not getting paid for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem. And then if you actually track our country relative to basically every one of the other kind of 
G7 countries, Japan, all of the, the global leaders in the world. And if you look at our workforce participation of women relative to, to all of these others, come to find out ours has not only stagnated, but decreased in the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. So this is what's really interesting. Women are now 60% of college graduates. Did, did you guys know that? I didn't know that. I was like shocking to me. Women are 60% of college graduates. I know that from your book. <laughs> you know, okay, fair enough. Okay, there you go. But the point being, so for the last 25 years, 25 years ago, women hit 50-50 college graduates. We're now at 63, I think, is, was last year's data, um, percent of college graduates. So we are very well educated. But interestingly, our workforce participation has not only stayed the same, it's actually dropped in the last 25 years. What is that about? Well, every other country, we've seen a huge increase. Japan now outpaces outpaces Mm -hmm. us in terms of female workforce participation, Mm. right? If Mm -hmm. we're looking, um, Janet Yellen, right? She led the Federal Reserve. She did uh, research and it was, trillions of dollars that we're missing out on the GDP, not just billions. Trill- mm-hmm. This is a GDP issue. This is an economic issue that's hurting our economy because women aren't contributing at full force relative to our peers. So mm-hmm. to me, when I think of what are some of the things that we can do as a country to kind of restabilize our economy, it's creating p- programs and policies that actually support caregiving or because women are often the primary caregivers, even if they are co-working couples, right? If they're in a, it still often lands on the woman's shoulders, mm-hmm. like creating programs and policies and practices that allow us to be more integrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Absolutely. Right. Have you, um, so there was a bill going through Congress and I don't know, it's called the Balancing Act and Lynn Woolsey, who's in San Rafael here, um, was supporting it and endorsing it or bringing it through. I don't know. I know, I know it was 2011, but I think it was 2009 or something. And I actually, I was so interested because I was really interested in, because I luckily had a company who supported giving me the opportunity to just create, you know, and if, if my schedule, my alternative weird schedule of following the babies and preschool schedules and stuff, if it worked, and then I'd work at night and catch up and be fine. Um, so I, I actually drove up to her office and got the bill and she wasn't there, but I talked to her staff and, and then it kind of was military families and things like that. But I don't know if, is there anything that you've seen? And I, I actually, it's funny. And in anticipation of this call, it made me remember it. And I called her today to see if I could get it or where it is. And, and it was disconnected. The phone number was disconnected. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but I was curious well, if you've seen anything. There, yes, there aren't many things I want to congratulate Donald Trump on. But one <laughs> thing he has done is actually provide universal um, parental leave to, for I think it's now it's three months to federal employees. So it's under, under Trump's, um, uh, you know, presidency, we yeah. actually had the most progressive policies when it, for federal employees. Yeah. So, um, but that's huge. Yeah, that so is. Why yeah. can't we do that for everybody in this country, right? What's that? And don't tell me we don't have the economy for it or we don't, you know, have the budget for it. Take a little bit off of that military budget and put it here and we'd be fine. Absolutely. So there are things like that, that to me, um, we could do, but we have made one very quietly, one step forward that's pretty powerful. 
Is FMLA not the same? Uh, sorry about that. The three month leave. What about FMLA? So FMLA happened under under um, Bill Clinton, and yeah. all the teeth was were t- was taken out of FMLA because oh. it's it's you you get the privilege of work not being paid for three months. So I mean, who has the financial ability to leave a job for three months to care for family? Which is why you see very few men taking FMLA, although men and women are both offered it. And, um, and why, and so it's, it's, it's in some, in many ways, it's toothless. All it means is you can't lose your job. If That's you, right. Okay. So it's unpaid versus unpaid. this is actually paid. This is paid. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny because I'm Swedish and you have, right. I want to say, I, I want to say two years, but uh, it could be more or less. I know some countries can even be longer. I know it's at least one. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's actually, it depends. I mean, it's, it's varied, but it's about 18 months of paid yeah. leave. Um, and then they also have men get a certain number of years. So a uh, no, period of month, I think it's six months for men. Depends on the country. Yeah. What was really interesting is Canada, Norway, um, Sweden did a longitudinal study on paid paternity leave. Mm-hmm. And what they discovered was on a longitudinal basis, when men took paid paternity leave more than two weeks, it had to be, I think it was up to, it had to be three months or above the longitudinal impact on the families was incredible. Mm-hmm. The children were physically healthier. The children did better in school and their wives careers. The wives were more um, employee employment engaged is what they call it. Meaning they worked more than the men who didn't take paternity leave. Mm. What is that? That Mm -hmm. to me speaks volumes. So if there's a recipe for success, every man in this country should be taking paid paternity leave when they, when they have it, because that can be good for their own families and their wives' careers. Absolutely. Um, Right. And bonding with their children, right? So getting to understand those little creatures that can help facilitate the family structure. Right, right, Rachel. We, it's what I didn't see around that research is what, what why, and the mm-hmm. um, researchers were po- hypothesizing that when the men had a chance to be more engaged and get to know their little creatures better, they um, imprinted better. They wanted to be, you know, they were more engaged. Mm-hmm. So, right. Three months. We're only a, right. We're months. only a part of a process when we are allowed to be part of that process. Right. Right. Think and I think that's yeah. powerful. In all respects of what we're talking about, like letting women into the workforce, um, allowing different ranks to be part of this workforce movement. Like how do we make and embrace people so that they are part of it? They have a role to play, which I kind of wanted to ask, even though we're circling back a little bit, but um, speaking to the women um, issue, right? And and thinking about that in a real intentional way, how are, or what do you think with women? Do we, do you feel in, in all of the stories you heard that women spoke up or did they start to stay quiet with, they were following the way we always do things? What have you seen in that voice? It's a really interesting question. And I'd like to actually answer it in two ways. Before I answer that question, I'd like to answer what I think is the, 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 the systemic change. The number one way I think we can actually create a more equal environment and solve for so many of these issues is to engage men in the conversation. So many men um, either don't feel invited or don't even know how they themselves are blocking it don't even understand the depth of how they professionally and personally would benefit when they're actually given the freedom to be more engaged caregivers um, 
so to me, let's get men on, let's get men on board. Not because it helps, not because they're allies, which I also love, but because it literally helps their careers and literally helps them. So let's just solve there. Um, because the reason I answer that first that way is because we often try to blame the victim. And I use this in quotes, but we often try to say, well, if women were just more ambitious, if women were just, you know, could play the game better, if women did something differently, then, then they would succeed. And I would say, no, in my research, these women were deeply ambitious. Mm -hmm. 87% of the women in my survey consider themselves very ambitious. Mm. Only 11% thought they would pause their careers. 72% ultimately did pause their careers, which tells me that these very ambitious women were forced to do something different because the system didn't support them. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that women weren't speaking up. I don't think women weren't, you know, doing all these things. I think we have a system that doesn't support caregiving and the impact is hardest on women because we're often the ones who are primary caregivers. Now, I will say the women who were most satisfied with their lives and felt most empowered with their lives were the women who did have intrinsic, uh, an intrinsic sense of their own value. They knew their voice, they knew their truth, they knew their value, and they were willing to take risks and say, you know what, this is not where my human capital is best spent. I can actually, and I have a very long-term view of my career. I'm not going to, you know, stop working at some point, even though I might be on the, in the unpaid workforce for a period of time, right? I might pause. They still thought of themselves as having careers and they still manage their careers accordingly and manage their choices professionally accordingly. So for example, I interviewed um, a number of women that were so strategic about their volunteer time when they were out of the paid workforce. They were doing volunteer work that kept them engaged, that were engaging with men often, either on fundraising committees or, or you know, various board work that allowed them to be in the world of professionals, even if they themselves weren't in the paid workforce at the time. I thought that was very strategic and very smart and something I did not do and I wish I, I had done. In hindsight, I'm like, oh, what a good idea. Why did I think of it that way? Yeah. Um, but, but let's not, let's, uh, what, but actually, uh, and actually, I think that, look, we're all raised in patriarchy. Men and women are swimming the water of patriarchy and we don't even know we're swimming in it. So when we, when you say, did they not own their voice? Maybe they didn't know that they could, maybe that they were socialized to believe that men are bad caregivers so that they had to be the primary caregiver. You know, who knows what their, what the socialization that they were raised in and that they're swimming in forced them to behave a certain way, right? Once we understand the systems we operate in, that's freedom. Because we can then choose how do we want to navigate with that system? Oh, this is what it looks like? Got it. Where do I, where, where do I want to play in this world? Yeah, exactly. I think that's the exciting part. And when I makes, um, it makes you start to think about that intrinsic value that we find inside of ourselves. How do you get there? And it makes me think of your video where you talk about being, you're a maker and the energy and passion you have in that video is, I mean, it's literally infectious. And, um, and so I thought about that when you brought this up, it's like, how can we help ourselves and others find that value? And I think this could be male or female, really, but in the context of female, the female voice. So this is, you're asking such an important question. Here's, let me sh share my story and maybe that will, 
I, I did not realize that I was making choices that either ben, you know, um, reinforced my value or diminished my value. I didn't see it until I was able to look back and track that pattern of choices, right? And once I was able to own, oh, that's what I did and why I did it at that time. Once you create that look, looking back at your career and going, oh, okay, well, I may have unconsciously made that choice, but how do I live with that now? What do I want to do? To me, that was really freeing because it empowered me to say, I've been making choices this whole time. I just didn't realize they were my choices. Mm-hmm. And they may have been choices in reaction to certain things, but they were still choices. When we get to that place where we own our and take responsibility for our lives and have agency of it, oh my gosh, so freeing. But I spent a lot of years not doing that. <laughs> I spent a lot of years kind of bumbling along, you know, doing stuff without owning what I was doing. So don't, you know, don't use me as the model. <laughs> use me as well, the it's also just survival mode, right? When you're, when you've got little kids and you're just trying to make it happen. I mean, you know, it's like forward thinking, planning and thinking outside, you know, it's, it's hard, especially it when is. they're really little. <laughs> it, it is, it is hard. And it's also hard when, again, we're living in systems and not recognize the systems we live in. Um, Okay, pay a, like when I think about when I left my big job at the advertising agency, my husband who wasn't, I was a vice president, I had a team of people under me, um, I had a lot of responsibility, and my husband, who wasn't at my same level, but worked in a different industry, he was making about thirty to $40,000 more than I was. So when we were in this crisis moment where our nanny had quit and my, you know, my paid leave had let, was done, I'd gotten, you know, I had gotten three months. That was amazing, right? But I'd had all this pregnancy problems and everything else, and they weren't willing to extend it. Economically, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm making less and we can't afford to, we don't have a nanny. What are we going to do? So I'll pause my career for temporarily, you know, it didn't last that long, but no, <laughs> That was because I was in the system that was actually not paying me fairly. Well, hello, (laughs) how do we shift that? How do we make sure that pay equity is a reality? And how can we make sure that when those decisions that are made, it's economically made based on fairness, not based on a system where I'm being not paid as much. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like I had no idea. It didn't dawn on me to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, No. Well, because you're thinking in that confined circumstance, right? What's this bigger message? And you're like, well, I've got all this to do. Okay, let's just give this the line. All right, the line item says, all right, you stay, I come home. And I think that's often the decision, right? Because on one hand, it's survival. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of need, right? Mm -hmm. Which where do we want to be? Okay, we got to get make sure base needs are met. And we have this new little one now. Right? So let's just go ahead with this. And I think that impacts so much of our definition, yeah. right? Versus realizing where do each of us thrive? Exactly. So in that case, once we find that we focus on thrive, I think it starts to fix the other issues because yeah. you begin to ask the right questions. You begin to pave the right path, if you will. So while you may have had that divide between your husband, would that have remained, right? Given where your mindset was, in, in, as a possibility, of course, you never know until you pick the different path, right? So hindsight is always like, well, maybe, but it's hard. I did the same thing where I just completely was like, well, you make more. 
I'm going to go this way. I'm going to find the flexible route. I'm going to find the work where I can piece it together and make a living, but not impact your day-to-day -day or my children's day-to-day. -day. Was that the right path? Was that fulfilling? Did that create more family stress, right? Which causes a whole other level of burden. So I think really looking at that, like you said, is like starting to question, why did I get to that place? How could I have changed a system that would allow me to thrive? And that may be at home. I think for many people, they do. But I think there's many people that don't as well. Not very good. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. I, I, a new friend of mine just wrote a book um, called Fair Play. Uh, mm -hmm. Her name's Eve Rodsky. And I've just, I've just connected with her. And I love what she has to say about this. And, and, and I don't, in my book, I don't spend a lot of time talking about the dynamic at home. Um, I'm really looking at the external systems. What are the systems at play that I just didn't understand? Where and what, where, where was I feeding into those systems? She's squarely in the home. She's like, okay, how much laundry have you done? How much laundry have you done? Like she's literally duking it out at that level, um, which is to your point, kind of our little fires everywhere. How are we duking that out? What does it look like? I would say the thing that I also found really fascinating in my research um, was that couples that spiral so that, this at this stage of the career she was taking the lead and at this stage he was taking the lead and and they may have moved for one person and moved from another i'm seeing a beautiful hand from a child coming in right now i love it speaking ah! of kids my little ones all life integration <laughs> so adorable um, but but that beautiful spiraling of of couples and you know who's who's on the front burner in their career to me was really powerful and interestingly when i would ask who was who had highest kind of marital satisfaction mm. it was the couples who had spiraled the couples mm. who had said okay you're front right now i'm going to support you to go do that whatever whatever that looks like and yeah. I know in my own marriage, when once I kind of got to the, okay, this is a system, this is what it is, when my husband started, and I, Bill and I started talking about how we're going to navigate this, we have totally spiraled our careers. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. now you're front and center. Okay, I got you, you know, mm -hmm. and spiraling could be, he was the one bringing in benefits, but I was front and center with my book, right, or vice versa, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be economic. It can be at a whole host of different levels. Mm -hmm. So that I think is a model that we're starting to see when we're seeing these two career couples is looking at it as kind of a one career, one family, bigger dynamic. Yeah. Right. Redefining the power couple concept. Right. Exactly. Right. right. Exactly. So I was yeah. just listening to a podcast from Tim Ferriss with Blake from the Tom Shoes. I can't yes. remember his last name. And uh, he talked about his folks and um, about how her, his dad, I think was a dentist and his mom worked any, or no, no, sorry, my dad's a dentist. His dad was a doctor, I think. And so his mom worked all odd jobs to pay for them to get him through school. And then she ended up writing a book later on. And then he pivoted and said, okay, you, you now go do your thing. And he supported her and traveled and they've been married for a lot of years and very happy. And it was just, you know, again, that kind of spiral and that yeah. stood out. And, and I've, I've also benefited from that as well. Just with our careers kind of going back and forth a little bit, but uh, you have to, to survive <laughs> and support each other and feel like your needs are being met, you know, that, um, uh, you know, that, and, and that you're, you're, uh, you're, you know, you have to look at money, but you have to look at passion and um, long-term, you know, what that's going to look like and be, um, you know, and, and, the, and I think the thing is also, I think, you know, my kids are 13 and 15. So, 
you know, my daughter's going to be in 11th grade. So she's got like two or three more years and then what? And then he, you know, my son's going into eight. So we've got another five, six years or so. Um, there's just so many different variations when, you know, um, my neighbors across the street, they have a one and three year old. So COVID I've, I've actually, oh, those poor things. <laughs> It's been really tough. And I, I send my kids over, although they have them in childcare now. But, you know, there's so many different stages that ebb and flow between, you know, the ages of the kids, the uh, careers and what your companies allow and don't allow. And, um, you know, uh, it's interesting. 9-11 uh, mortgage crisis, COVID on top of all of that. <laughs> But it's interesting. And more so to one come. Of, one of the challenges we haven't talked about is ageism in the workforce, right? So yes. women, men's careers tend to peak younger than women's careers because women tend to, you know, downshift during, you know, their 30s typically yeah. when they have young kids, right? So yeah. women actually, their, their, their careers, if we're now beginning to see, so we're now, again, again, since 50, 25 years now, we're now beginning to see women's careers actually are blossoming in their 40s and their 50s because back to the original conversation, they're going their own way. They're navigating their own beautiful careers. They're saying, corporate America, you know, you can't work with me, then I'm going to do it on my own. You know, sisters are doing it for themselves because the workplace isn't a lot because of ageism in many cases, right? They can't get back in or they're topped out or whatever. So, um, to me, that's, that's, although while I celebrate it, it also feels to me like a missed opportunity, how much creativity and innovation is being missed because we're not hearing from those 40 year olds who have this life experience that really have so much to add mm -hmm. um, because we're ageist, right? We yes. can go well, you know. Huge. Um, and, and that goes to like the topic of our conversation here and what I posed initially is like creating your own lane, right? You've got all of these things we've been talking about and also just about um, finding your value, Rachel's awesome question and your responses in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you thrive? How does your family thrive? And then the timing, a, you know, what's going on in the, in the, in the world, um, what your ages are of your kids, where you're at in your career, um, if you want to pivot, if you want to stay home, what you want to do, and just, you know, creating that ideal job and being brave enough, I guess, is to going to your employers and, and, and just demanding it, but you know what I mean? Just kind of working with them to say, hey, this is what I'd like to do and how can we make this happen and shift things and being flexible. I think I got super um, lucky with um, my bosses being able to do that. I think it was also part of my story with my, um, I, uh, my vacation policy changed in 2001 we had to take our accumulated vacation in 2002 or we were going to not be paid out and lose it. And I ended up having 16 weeks and I was hundred percent commissioned. So it's like, well, how can I leave? I can't not work for four months, you know, and I ended up taking 12 out of those 16 weeks and um, I made just as much. And I went to their banquet, the top, you know, they have this reach for the stars banquet that they do each year and the top in the world go and, that's the year I went was the year I was gone. So when the kids came, I, I had some um, examples behind it, but we also did some things where I tried it for one quarter and adjusted and made, you know, things change. And then as the kids got older, things changed and my schedule changed. And 
you know, I just kept checking in and having meetings and trying to figure it out. And I didn't know, you know, are you seeing that? Have you, I, I felt like that's what I saw from oh. the women that you were talking about is yes. that they made things happen. And, and I think also just knowing that you can do that. Like, I don't sometimes think that, you know, I just encourage like, do it, ask what's the worst that can hurt. I mean, they right. can say no, but right. what if they say yes? And what if they give you something, right. you know? So I did, I was curious about, you know, um, that landscape and what and you're, you're such thinking. a beautiful role model of what I wrote about because <laughs> you did a whole host of things successfully. You, one, you understood your human value. You, you proved your, your capacity and your capabilities, but you also asked for what you wanted. And you also were flexible around that with, in, in partnership with your leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and you, know, you delivered, you continued to deliver again and again, right? But, you, but what I think is really powerful, and this is what I heard again and again, women either, they were afraid to ask and they, you know, so they didn't ask. So that, mm-hmm. back to your question, Rachel, of our women, they were afraid to ask. But the women who did ask, asked in a way that they understood the business imperative. So it wasn't like, I demand this because, you know, who wants to hear that? It was, hey, I'm a high performer. I want to deliver for you. I really want to make this work. Here's a way that will work for me. Let's try it out for six months and see if it can work, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, but I want to say one thing, which is you had to ask because our myth around FaceTime and productivity lived. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have that, you wouldn't have to ask. You would say, I'm delivering all the time. So you wouldn't have to ask for Fridays off because every other day of the week, you'd be working. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this, if we can remove that, the freedom that we're going to have both women and men to actually be productive and have integrated lives mm-hmm. is going to be astounding mm-hmm. um, if we can get there. And I think, thank you, COVID, we might be able to get there. Yeah. COVID definitely helped, although I know it's, uh, you know, not, not pleasant. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing I think any of all generations have ever seen ever (laughs) as well. And I think the one thing that I I felt that I also challenge when people are looking for jobs, um, and even in this situation in creating your own lane is to know, you know, yeah, you, you know, your value to the company, but what is it that, they will get like the value to what is it that that's missing or that they it's I don't know if missing is the right word but that they will benefit from and also um, you know still be able to hit what they're trying to do or maybe there's niches and areas that they aren't doing that you could create a job and be able to have that flexibility on it's just really and then and then if you don't know where to start it's at least meeting with the people that are relevant that could help you make those decisions and create those things. And maybe it's not even today, maybe it's a little um, later, but a lot of it's today because of COVID. (laughs) Well, yes, but I will tell you, it was really um, distressing to me was the number of women, many, many women who had hidden the fact that they had these nonlinear careers. They were hiding the fact that they had negotiated, you know, part-time for three years when their kids were young. They yeah. weren't telling the truth because they were afraid they would A, look unambitious and their leaders didn't want the story out that Kristen got this, you know, special deal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not, if it's not a special deal and if it's available to everyone, then we can be honest and say, you know, hey, we don't need to lose this talent 
you know, in the workforce because this talent believes they have to leave the paid workforce because they can't be with their fa- their families and their children. That's just, yeah. if we can change that myth, we won't lose that talent, which means our, you know, the economy will thrive even more. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like so full circle. It's not, it, you know, the personal is political. Gloria Steinem said it. She the yeah. one was right. <laughs> yeah. If we could just yeah. understand, it starts here, circles up and circles back down again. It's all connected. Exactly. It's almost like there needs to, it, this would be a fun book to write. I should talk to you about this one, but just um, talking to the people um, who have been able to make it happen and having just, uh, it's so funny. There was a, uh, I was um, going through some of my old older books too. And there was one, it was like success stories of folks that have, you know, just the stories of people successful in real estate or other things, you know, in life and everything. And they need a compilation book of, of this, right? And um, then, um, it was written. It and I have it. Yes. Right. There you go. Show it, show it. <laughs> I know exactly. There's so many women have done this and we just don't know it because they don't talk about it. We don't name it. Yes. Right. Exactly. So no, let's start what is it, it they say that women we passed on our um, traditions through our recipes? So let's change uh, that. What yeah. is our new recipe? Find right. our new recipe, right? Exactly. exactly. I love it. Find your new recipe. I'm writing that down, and that's going to be <laughs> part of it. It's so true. Um, well, I, I know we're coming up to the hour, and I, I want to respect your time, and I'm so grateful that we could make this happen. I know. Uh, Thank you. So wonderful so having you. And and I, I know we didn't even get to your story um, of how it even began in the beginning. It's at the end, I guess. Um, I'm curious if there's anything you want to add to that. Um, I, I, I remembered also your story with your son in the NICU and you yes. on bed rest for your second. Yes. Um, being, I couldn't imagine you know, there's so much underlying things that we never know, right? And you're just having to go through that, like the emotion, and then you're working on top of that. And then just going through, there's, there's so much we don't know, um, that everyone struggles, but I know that that you did as well. Uh, And I'd be interested if there was any uh, ahas that you learned, or that, uh, you know, helped you to continue to see, um, you know, the half cup, cup half full. I know that's what we like to do. You know, we talk about, um, in my company, Prism Work, we talk about what we call the hearty model of leadership. Hearty is humble. Hearty is empathy. Hearty is authenticity, resilience, transparency, and inclusivity. And I think all of those experiences that I've had through my life have brought me to the place to recognize that those core values, those are the values that are what make great leaders, mm-hmm. right? We just lost John Lewis, you know, an amazing congressman, right? What do people say about him? Yes, he was a trailblazer, but he was one of the most humble people. His life's work was about advocating for others, right? You know, empathy, right? You just asked. I was, I had awful pregnancies. It was just, you know, terrible. An empathetic leader, an empathetic manager would have made all the difference, right? These are the things that, and authenticity, back to your question, Rachel, about, you know, the stories William tell that women tell themselves. Well, if we hide our stories, if we don't have a new recipe, we're not authentic. So others don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So when I, and resiliency, right? We've got to, we've just need to be owning these things and then passing them forward because um, 
if we don't, our children, you know, the one-year-old and three-year-old right across your street are going to be having this exact same conversation 30 years from now. Yeah. No, let's not do that. Let's yeah. not let that happen. A different story, please. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it'll be so interesting to see where we land in 10, 20, 30 yes, years. And yes. you know, I th- I'm hoping that, you know, with, with COVID, honestly, um, but, you know, that, that there should be, there's, there has to be a shift. I mean, it's happening right now. Um, it, it's really, I know I've heard a little bit about the story of when we go back, right? It's, you know, do we just kind of like wash it and like, okay, it never happened. Let's move forward. It's like, no, you can't. It's now, no, it's, can't. we have to stop and, and recreate um, and go this new yeah. path. Um, yeah, and that, that all of our businesses have changed. So, um, but and then also as a last note, um, what you're working on, what you would be, uh, would you would like to share? I know this is an amazing book. So anyone who <laughs> who's interested in learning more about you, about what you your work is, your life work, which is. Um, I'm so grateful that we sat together on the bus and got to know each other. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was thank such you. a wonderful trip, and uh, you're uh, very special to me. So, right back at you, sister. And Rachel, I'm so glad we're connected. <laughs> I know. I'm really excited. This is fantastic. Thank you yeah. for sharing everything. I'm wishing you both the most amazing success as you tell more and more people's stories and convey more and more um, what's available to us. And, yeah. and uh, let's read, let's write new recipes. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> stealing that Rachel. I love that. Absolutely. Go for it. Absolutely. Who knows where we'll be. We'll work exactly. together. We'll make things happen. Exactly. Um, well, be well, everybody. Oh, sorry. Anything, uh, also, anything that you would want to share, like what are, where can people find you? What sure. kind of um, work that you're doing currently? Because I know it's a little bit different if you want to yeah. share just a couple minutes um, because of, you know, who the audience would be and if they would like to learn more or sure. Um, partner. Sure. So, so thank you for that. All, all this work has driven me to launch a consultancy that focuses on both leadership and culture change. Um, and the reason within workplaces, because the reason I feel so strongly is that how are we going to actually make sure that we, our economy thrives, workplaces thrive, you know, and our communities thrive if we're not doing this. So we've, I've got a team now of about 15 and we're growing and we're experts in across a whole host of different fields. Um, we, we, we do what I call our brand, what we call our brand 360, where we're really assessing where's that internal external alignment? Where are you around your stakeholders? Diversity and inclusion is essential to what we do. So we do a lot of diversity and inclusion work. Um, we do, we do so much. I mean, I can't go on and on, but go check our website at um, <laughs> www.prismwork.com. You can learn more about the work that we do there. And um, I'm on LinkedIn at Lisa Stromberg and Twitter and Instagram. It's all at Lisa Stromberg. Um, and I just, I just invite people to connect because I, I, I am a deep believer in abundance and, and you know, all boats rise if we do it together. So um, let's rise together. Absolutely. Wonderful. And I'll have more info in your name spelled so they can, you know, they will be able to find you as well. So wonderful. Well, East Coast, West Coast. Now we've got Rachel. We did all the podcasts and she was over there and now you're here and you're over there. So we still got the East Coast, West Coast thing going on. (laughs) 
Be well. Thank you. Thank you again. You're listening to the Future of Women at Work podcast, where we share the stories and helpful guidance by leaders in industry as they help us to understand and handle this changing world. 